Well, today is Easter where we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So some of you may be sitting here wondering, then why is there a Passover Seder set up for Easter Sunday? And the reason is that the two events are tied together. Passover is the story of God's great redemption, his redemption of his chosen people, the Jews, as he set them free from their bondage in the land of Egypt, as he brought them out. And that Seder, the word Seder means a service, and it's called the Haggadah. The Haggadah is a word that means the telling. And what the Passover Seder is, is the telling of the story of God's redemption, not just of his people, the Jews, but his redemption that was given to all men and women. The Bible says that it was for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Most of us here are what would be called the Goyim, Gentiles. There are among us uh, believing Jews, those who are God's people who are called completed Jews, those who have found the Messiah, Jesus Christ, called Hamashiach. And the service called the Passover Seder is where we get our communion service from. You're going to see that as we walk through the Seder and as we end today by celebrating communion. And it is out of the Seder that we get our communion service. Jesus Christ uh, used the story of redemption to tell the story of our redemption. In Exodus 13, 8, God said, You shall tell your son of the Lord God in bringing his people out of bondage. So this is the Haggadah. And it's something that we see in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. In verses 7 and 8, it says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. You see, Jesus Christ celebrated the Passover. Growing up in his home, his father, his stepfather Joseph would celebrate this. Jesus celebrated it with his disciples. It's been going on more than a thousand years before the time that Jesus did. So 2,000 years since his time here on earth. This is a, a story of God's great redemption And what we find in it is Jesus says here, go and prepare the Passover. Now, if you were to go to a Jewish home, uh, they would do just like we do. When company is coming, we run through the house, we clean up, we make sure everything is ready. But the cleaning that would be done in preparation for the Passover is more extensive. They not only do the normal tidying up that we do, but they go throughout the house and they remove anything that has leaven in it. Crackers, bread, various products that you might find in the house. And the reason they do that is Exodus 12:19 says, Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your house. Now, leaven in the Bible is seen as a picture of sin. And so what it is saying is in preparation for the Passover, we are to remove sin from our life. We are to uh, do that as we come to the communion table. We confess our sins, we're told, to come with clean hands and hearts. So the the father and mother and family would go through the house, remove all the leaven, and then they would take a candle. And he would gather his, his family, the father would, and they would go through the room and make a ceremonial search of the house just to make sure that nothing was missed. Now, there might be something hidden away. Kids might have something in their room or something might have been missed. So they'll sprinkle a few crumbs of leaven on the kitchen floor and they'll take a a wooden uh, spoon and a feather and they'll sweep up this uh, remnant of of leaven and they'll go outside and they'll burn this. And just in case they've missed anything, the father will make a declaration. He'll say, any leaven is hereby annulled and counted as the dust of the earth. Now, the man having prepared the house will then prepare himself. They will often put on robes to remind them of the high priestly robes that were worn. I don't have a high priestly robe, but I have a a Jewish prayer shawl here. And so what they will do is put on some type of a garment to remind them 
of the priest that would serve there in the temple and the ceremonies that would take place. The man will then cover his head as a sign of submission, acknowledging that God is over him. And so uh, this is called a kippa, a yarmulke. You can call it many things. Uh, but they will put this on to prepare. And having prepared the home in himself, the father will then take a piece of matzah. And he will hold this matzah up. <clears throat> and he will say, Behold the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are in need come and celebrate the Passover with us. Now, the Passover celebration will begin at sunset, as all Jewish feasts do. And so the woman of the house will then cover her head, and she'll come to some candles, and she will light these. And as she does, she will say, Blessed are you, our Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments and is ordained that we kindle the Passover lights. The man then says it is most fitting that a woman kindles the lights, for we are reminded of God's promise that the Messiah, the king of the world, would come, not from the seed of man nor by the will of man, but from the seed of woman and by the will of God. As Isaiah 7.14 declares, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The man then comes to the first of the cups. You notice there are five cups here on the table, and we'll walk through these as we go through the, the Haggadah. And the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. Now, the word sanctification means to set apart. And so what the, the family is doing, what the father is doing, is setting apart this feast. And it is a reminder that this night is different than all others. It is a reminder that the Jews were set apart as God's people. And so he will take this cup, and he will read Exodus 6.6. 6. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched hand and with great judgments. He raises the cup and blesses it. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Now, this is the cup that we see in the New Testament. As you read through uh, the story in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 18 tell us this. It says, And when the hour had come, they reclined at the table. They're celebrating the Passover. It says, As they reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup, this is the cup he took at this point. The cup of sanctification and given thanks. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God. Now at this point in the Passover, a basin of water is used. And they will take a basin of water and they will wash their hands. Again, much of this is ceremonial. They should already have washed their hands coming to dinner. But they will wash their hands. Now, as you remember, as you read through the celebration that Jesus did, it tells us in John chapter 13 and verses 4 through 5, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself about, and then he poured water into the basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, that's not a normal part of the Passover Seder. 
But in Luke 22, it says that when they ate the supper, they reclined. The way that you ate in that day, you didn't have a table like ours. You had a low mat on the floor, or, or, and, and you would recline on a pillow. So you were laid out kind of like sardines. Your head would be at the chest of the person, so you were laid out around the table like this. Now, as you were laying there, behind your head was the person's feet, Now, in that day, they wore open-toed shoes, sandals, if they even had those. They would walk among the the dirt of the street where the animal droppings were, the open sewers. Not a very appetizing thought when you're about to eat a meal, is it? These people have walked in. Their feet are dirty. It's right behind your head where you're going to be eating. And normally what would happen is you entered into a home. The lowest of the servants would meet you with a basin of water, and he would wash your feet. Now remember, those who were eating the Passover, they went to an upper room that uh, God had directed them to go to, and it was just Jesus and the disciples. Now the disciples were those who were always fighting among themselves as to which was the greatest. And so none of them were willing to humble themselves to take the place of the lowest servant and wash one another's feet. So it says that Jesus Christ took the place of the servant. He girded himself, he washed their feet, And then what he said to them, if I being your teacher and master, the Lord have done this for you, then you should do this for one another, setting this example. Now, after washing their feet, uh, the Seder meal takes place. Up on the slide, you see this Passover plate. Here's Here's another one here. And on the plate are various foods that help them tell the story. And the first food that they come to is parsley. Now, parsley looks a little bit like the hyssop plant that was used. And it was the hyssop plant that they dipped into the basin of blood uh, in the Egyptian exodus. And this is what they used as a paintbrush to paint the blood on the doorpost of the home. The, The lamb's blood that was on there. And when the angel of death saw the blood on this home, it passed over the home. And so they will take the parsley, not this much, but they'll take some. And they will take a a little bit of salt water. And they'll dip the parsley into the salt water and they will eat it. Now, they do this because the salt water reminds them of the bitter tears that were shed in Egypt. As the Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt, they shed tears. They will dip it in the, the water a second time and eat it again to remind them of the Red Sea that was parted as God brought them out of the Egyptian captivity. Now, in addition to the foods that are guiding the Seder, there's a series of four questions that are to be asked by the youngest child around the table. And the first question is asked, why is this night different from all other nights? And the father responds, this night is different because of what the Lord did for us when he brought our people out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed us with his strong hands and an outstretched arm. Now remember, God's story of redemption isn't just for the Jews from slavery. His story of redemption is for all of us. Because he redeemed the people first from their Egyptian slavery, but ultimately from the judgment that was owed for their sins. The blood of the Passover lamb, as we're going to see through this Seder, is what redeemed the people of Egypt, as well as you and I today when we come to faith in the Messiah. Exodus 12, 3 through 7 tells us, Speak to all of the congregation, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. 
Now, if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. Remember, the, the, the requirement for the Passover lamb is a male without defect. Jesus fulfilled this as he was sinless. He was perfect. He was a male without defect. You shall keep it, it says, until the 14th day of the same month. Now, we read earlier that on the 10th of the month you are to select the lamb, but it is not until the 14th when the lamb, the Passover, begins. And there were two Jewish feasts that were merged together. And remember, they began at sundown, so you're dealing with a Thursday event. Last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and that was Lamb Selection Day. The day that Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem was the day that people were going and selecting the Passover lamb. And it was on that day that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people were crying out, Hosanna, a word that literally means save us. They were selecting the lamb. Now the people thought they were selecting a military Messiah, one who would set them free from the Roman bondage. But God had a greater redemption for his people, the ultimate redemption from sin and death. But Christ is the Passover lamb that was being selected. It says, you will keep until the 14th day of the same month. Then while the assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight, moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the house in which they eat. Remember how the hyssop was dipped and the blood was painted on the doorpost. Now, the Passover lamb, as we saw, was to be a male without defect. And in John 129, John the Baptist told us about the Passover lamb. As he saw Jesus Christ coming to be baptized, he said to the people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He pointed and said, Here is the perfect and permanent Passover lamb that is coming. Now, the scriptures tell us it was to be kept whole. It was to be roasted and eaten. And in John 19, we see this as well. As Jesus Christ was being crucified on the cross, I want you to remember that at one point the Jewish authorities came and they said to the Romans, look, the Sabbath is approaching. We can't have people in agony dying on the cross. We can't have this day defiled. We need them dead and off the cross before sundown. And the only way you could speed up the crucifixion process was to break a person's leg. Crucifixion was a very brutal way to die. And what they would do is, as they nailed you onto the cross, and they nailed your feet onto the cross, and you were down in this position, you couldn't breathe. It was pulling against your ribcage. You were suffocating. And the only way you could get a breath is if you were to push up on the spike in your feet. Imagine the agony so that you could lift up just enough to take a breath, and then you would fall back down because of the pain. And it was this slow, agonizing process of up and down, up and down. But if they broke your legs, you couldn't lift yourself anymore and it would speed up the suffocation process. And so they came, it says, the Romans who were professional executors, they came to the three who were dying on the cross. And when they came to Jesus Christ, they said Jesus was already dead. And it wasn't that he was a wimpy person and died quickly. Uh, It was that he had chosen the time of his death. The scriptures tell us when that time was. Very specifically, it says at 3 p.m., And this was another very significant point because at the point of 3 p.m. at that time is when the first of the Passover lambs would be sacrificed in the temple. And as Jesus was out on Golgotha, he said to his father, it is finished. 
It is finished. What he said is what you see on the screen, teteleste. This is a Greek word that literally means paid in full. Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, said paid in full. What was paid in full? What was paid in full was the penalty of death. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. That is what we owed. Many of us think if we're just good enough, if we go to church enough, if we do things that will make God happy, that we can earn our way to God. But what God says is wages, what you earn by how you live your life, is death. And the reason for that is because all of us are sinners. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I owe a penalty of death. You owe a penalty of death. And what Jesus was doing was taking our place on the cross. The one who was without sin, the lamb without blemish, said, I will go to the cross. I will be the sacrifice. I will allow my blood to be shed for you. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is what was happening. As they came to speed along the process with Jesus Christ, they found that he was already dead. He had already given up his life. And at that moment, you'll recall in the temple, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. Now, friends, this was a veil, Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that it was three inches thick. They could tie horses to both ends and they could not pull it apart. And this was a multi-storied veil that separated the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat was. And the high priest once a year would go behind the veil and he would apply the blood on what was called the halismos. It means the satisfaction seat, the top of the, the mercy seat. And he would put the blood on there as a sacrifice to temporarily cover the sins. But what Jesus said is, paid in full. The account is closed. This is why God tore the veil from heaven to earth saying, there is no longer a sign of separation between you and me because the penalty has been removed through the death of my son. Now Exodus 12, 11 through 14 goes on to tell us, now you shall eat it, the Passover meal in this manner, with your loins girded, with your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood, the blood on the doorpost is what he's speaking of, shall be assigned to you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance, which has happened for thousands of years to our present day. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, what the Scripture tells us is the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been applied to the doorpost of our hearts. And on that day of judgment, as God sees it, he will pass over us. We will not be sent to the final judgment called the lake of fire, what we call hell. Instead, we will be invited to come into the presence of God, being sanctified, being redeemed, having the penalty paid through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the first question has been answered. The child asks the second. He says, on all other nights we eat our bread uh, either leavened or unleavened. Why on this night do we eat our bread only unleavened? 
Now, the question was already answered in Exodus 12, 11. There was no time for the bread to rise. They were to leave, as you'll recall, when the, when the firstborn all throughout Egypt were struck, Pharaoh said, get out. And he commanded the Jews to leave that very night. And so they didn't have time for their bread to rise and prepare. And so the father will say, because our ancestors, the Jews in Egypt, had to leave in haste and take their bread with them while it was still flat, we eat unleavened bread. Now, at this point, we come to something very significant on the Passover table. And this is called the matzotosh. You see a slide of it up here. But the matzotosh is a, is a very interesting part of the Passover because in it, as you can see up on the slide, there are three compartments. And you have a piece of matzah in the top one. There's a piece of matzah in the second. And again, a third piece of matzah in the bottom. And along with the matzotosh is something called the afikomen. Now, afikomen is actually a Greek word that's been transliterated into Hebrew. And what they will do is they will take the matzotosh and they bypass the first piece of bread and they go to the second compartment. They don't take the third one. They take the middle matzah and they, they take it out. And so the, the matzah is removed. And what the, the father will do is he will break it in half. And he will take a linen napkin, and he'll take part of this middle matzah, and he wraps it in this linen napkin, and he places it in the afikomen. The word means that which comes afterwards. So he, he hides it away, and then he actually gets up from the table, and he goes somewhere in the house, and he hides the afikomen, and it's forgotten. And he comes back to the table, and they continue the seder. Now, at this point, the child asks the remaining questions. He says, on all other nights, we, we can eat any kind of vegetables or herbs, but on this night only, why do we eat bitter herbs? And he asks the, the last question as well. On all other nights, we do not dip our vegetables even once, but why on this night do we dip twice? And he replies, we remember how bitter our ancestors' slavery was in Egypt and are reminded of tears and the miraculous deliverance. Now, we've already talked about the parsley, so the next thing to be eaten is horseradish. Now, I'm not going to eat horseradish today, because if I were to do that, I would start crying, my nose would start running, and that's the exact reason they eat the horseradish, because what it does is it makes them begin to cry. It reminds them of what their ancestors went through. Now, the father will say, uh, but God did not leave us in bitterness, and then they eat the next item, which is called harosh. It's a chopped apple and nuts and cinnamon, raisins, juice, and honey. It's a very sweet mixture. And, and they will eat this, one, to kind of counter the, the horseradish, but it also uh, has a symbolic meaning where he says, but God did not leave us in bitterness. This reminds us that when life gets bitter, bitterness can be sweetened by God's promise. And then you see there is a hard-boiled egg on there. Now, they boil it in coffee often so that it's browned, so that it will uh, look like a roasted sacrifice. And the reason for that is they don't have the temple anymore to offer sacrifices. And so this is there to remind them of the sacrifices that were once offered in the temple. And this egg is uh, dipped in the salt water again to remind them of the bitter tears of the loss of the temple. Now, the egg also has a, a future meaning because, as you know, an egg that has been fertilized and properly incubated has life inside it even though it's not seen and it will ultimately hatch. And the Jews, having lost the temple in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it, 
uh, look forward to the temple being rebuilt. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament point to the rebuilding of the temple during the millennial kingdom. And so God's temple will be rebuilt. And so it's both a bitter reminder and a hopeful foreshadowing of what is to come. Now, along with this um, is the most important part on the Seder plate. This is an actual shank bone of a lamb. And you'll see it's also been roasted. It's been browned. And what they do is because they cannot offer the Passover lamb as a sacrifice in the temple anymore, uh, they have a symbol of the, the Passover lamb. They'll often eat chicken or something like that in lieu of a lamb at the meal. And now this creates a, a, a problem because if you are an observant Jew who believes that you must fulfill the law, the law that prescribes there are sacrifices to be offered for sin as well as additional offerings that can be made, and yet you cannot go and offer a sacrifice uh, for your sins. Leviticus 17.11 says, God says, Behold, I have given uh, the blood on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is blood by the reason of life that makes atonement. The scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sins. So if you are a Jew today or a Gentile today and you have sinned, which we have all done, how are our sins dealt with? Well, the answer is found in the Passover lamb. Remember John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10 verses 3 through 5 tells us, but in those sacrifices, pointing back to the sacrifices in the temple, it says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes, pointing ahead to the Messiah, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. You see, our redemption comes through Jesus Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a rabbi, a Jew, a very observant Jew, trained by Gamil, one of the, the foremost rabbis of the day, said in 1 Corinthians 5-7, For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. John in his gospel noted Jesus died at the same time that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. Remember John 19-30? It is finished. Paid in full. Account closed. All that we owed for our sins, Jesus said, I am paying the penalty if you will accept my death in your place. Now, in order for this to be true, though, we have to act in faith. Just as the Jew heard, if you will paint the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your home, the angel of death will pass over. If they did not do that, if they did not act in faith and obedience, then the angel of death would have struck whoever was in that home that was of the firstborn. But for everybody who stepped outside and applied the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over. And friends, it is the same for all of us here today. Being here in church will not save you. But if you have received Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the word Christ means the Messiah, and applied the blood to the doorpost of your heart as an individual, God will pass over you one day in judgment when that time comes. Hebrews tells us it is appointed for men to die once and then comes judgment. There is no second chance after we pass from this earth. But while we are here, John 5.24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. 
God offers you that free gift today. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what we celebrate today, it says, Then you will be saved. Now, you may be sitting here this morning saying, Roger, you don't know me. You don't know what a mess I've made in my life. You don't know how wretched I am. You don't know, if you really knew who I, who I am and what I've done, you might have the ushers come and escort me out of this place right now. No, we wouldn't do that. Because while I may not know who you are and what you've done, God does. And as God saw you and saw me and all of my wretchedness and all of the sin that I've committed in my life, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't say to you, I love you this much or this much. He said, I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he died for you. He paid your penalty of death. And that's what God calls on us to do. God offers us that gift of new life. Now, that news should cause us to rejoice, which is what happens next in the Passover. This is called the cup of rejoicing. Men, we're not ready for communion yet. I'll direct you in time. This is called the cup of rejoicing. And what the cup of rejoicing is, is they will take and they will dip their finger in it ten times. And they will sprinkle a bit of the, the wine representing the blood on their plate as they recite the ten plagues. They, they will go through and say blood, frogs, lice, and they'll go all the way down to the death of the firstborn. And as they put it, and they say, we rejoice that God spared us from those plagues, that God redeemed us. And they will then drink of this cup. Now, at this point in the, the Passover service, uh, they will go for the afikomen. Remember that? We had the afikomen that was broken. And the father will say to the children, uh, he will say, go and find it. And they will go and search. And whoever finds the afikomen, one of the kids will find where the father has hidden it. And they will bring it back all excited because there is a reward. If you are the one who found the afikomen and you bring it back, you might get some candy, you might get some money. There is some type of a reward that will be given. Now, for us, the reward is not a little trinket. It's eternal life. Because as we look at this, as we look at this afikomen, uh, this matzah that was taken and, and put away, uh, they will take this matzah and they will, they will uh, take and give a piece of it. And they will also take the third cup at the table at this moment. Now, this cup is called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. And this is where our communion service comes from. Because at this point in the meal, it may look familiar to you because this is the origin of our communion service. In Luke twenty-two nineteen through 20, this is what we read. And when he had taken some bread and he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. The cup is the cup of redemption at this point. He says he took the cup. And after they had eaten, he said, this is the cup which is poured out for you, the new covenant of my bread, of my, uh, the new covenant in my blood. You see, Jesus didn't make up a new ceremony. What he did was he took a very significant ceremony and he translated it. He said, let me tell you the story, the story of redemption, not just the story of redemption from slavery in Egypt, 
but the greatest story of redemption, where I came to save you, where I came to pay that penalty that is owed. Now, it's interesting. I've talked to numerous rabbis. I've read just about everything I can find on the Passover Seder. And if you ask a a Jewish rabbi, uh, what is the meaning of the matzotosh? I mean, why is this on the table? What, what does it mean? And, and, and the matzah. I mean, what is, what is the makeup of the matzah? I mean, did you notice the way that it looks? It's pierced. It's striped. If you hold this up to a light, you can see through and see the holes that go through it. Well, the reason is because the prophet Isaiah, who wrote more than 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, he predicted the coming of the Messiah. Hamashiach, the Messiah, the promised one to come. And he says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You ask a rabbi, why does matzah have to look like this? And they say, it's tradition. You ask them, well, what about the matzotosh, the three-in-one? What are, what are the compartments? And they give several answers. Some rabbis say, well, it represents the high priests, the Levites, and the people. Uh, another will tell you, well, it's the patriarchs. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Still others say, well, it represents the bread that God gave to our people in the wilderness, the manna. And then the double portion that was given on Friday because they were not to uh, collect bread on the Sabbath. Some will say, well, and it's the Passover piece added in. Now, if any of those are true, I ask them. I say, why is the first one bypassed, the last one not taken, and it's the middle matzah taken out? And they go, it's tradition. And I tell them, may I respectfully offer you a better explanation? I say, how about the Trinity? You see, God is, is said to be one, there is the one true God in three unique persons. God the Father, the top piece. God the Son, the middle piece. God the Holy Spirit, the bottom piece. And when you remove the middle piece representing God the Son, we find Paul describing in Philippians chapter 2 the mystery of the incarnation as it says that God humbled himself and he emptied himself and he left his throne in heaven. He came to earth taking on flesh and blood. He was revealed to us. And his body was ultimately taken and broken, offered as the sacrifice for our sins, nailed to a cross where he was taken down and he was buried in a tomb, hidden away for three days. And then on the third day, what we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. He was brought out from the tomb in newness of life, showing he had conquered sin and death. Friends, this is what the Passover points to, God's great story of redemption. And at this point in the Seder, they come to the fourth cup after they've eaten uh, the, the bread and drank, uh, drunk, uh, taken from the, the cup of redemption. They drink the cup of Hillel, which means praise. And they say, we praise God. We praise God for his story of redemption. But unfortunately, many of them have missed the story. You see, in Isaiah 53, it not only tells of how Jesus, the coming Messiah, would be pierced, would be striped for our transgressions, but it tells many more details of crucifixion which had never been invented to that point. It tells how he would die with with the thieves that surrounded him, with criminals. It says that the Messiah would be with a rich man in his death. Do you remember how Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, came and requested the body? 
and placed it in his tomb. All the details of the prophecy were fulfilled. But more importantly than fulfilling that, the law was fulfilled. The penalty of death, the sacrifices owed for our sins, these have been removed, these have been fulfilled. And so this should cause us to praise God. And this is what the people do. They take and they drink from this. Men, I'm going to ask you now to prepare for communion. If you will go and collect the elements that we're about to partake of. But in the Seder, at this moment, what they do is they come to the fifth cup. This cup is called the cup of Elijah. If you were to sit at an uh, Orthodox Jewish table, at the end of the table would be a, a place setting that nobody is sitting in, and you would find this cup. And if you say, what is this? And they say, this is for Elijah. Elijah was the great prophet. The prophet who they say would be the forerunner of the Messiah, who would come to announce the coming of the Messiah. And as the Seder meal is coming to a close, the child will get up and he will go to the front door and open the front door of the house and look. And everybody at the table will go, has Elijah come? Closes the door. No. And they go, next year in Israel. Friends, Elijah does not have to come because he has already come. Elijah was John the Baptist. Because Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 1 verse 17, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. The Messiah said, the forerunner who announces my coming has done so. And he says, the Passover Seder that points to the story of redemption has happened. Because on the night that he was about to be betrayed, as he ate that Passover meal with his disciples, he took these two elements. He took the cup of redemption. And he said, it is through my blood. I, as the Passover lamb who will die for you, if you will apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorpost of your heart, God will pass over you in judgment. When he said, this is my body, it is a symbol that they all understood. And he said, I am the one who has come. I am the one that God has given to redeem you. Friends, if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so today. In a moment, the men are going to pass the elements. There's going to be a piece of bread, a piece of matzah that you can take. There's going to be a cup of juice representing the blood of the lamb, the cup of redemption. And as you take those elements, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, and today you realize that you are a sinner, which we all are, the word sin simply means to miss the mark. It means we're not perfect. If you've ever told in a lie, if you've ever stolen something, if you've ever done anything wrong, you're a sinner. And because of that, you and I owe a penalty called death, and we have a choice. But we accept the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who stood in our place, who allowed his body to be nailed to the cross, his blood to be shed to wash away our sins. And if you take and accept that and apply it to the doorpost of your heart, so to speak, God will pass over you in judgment. He invites you to come to know him today. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead in the tomb. He was brought out of the tomb. He was resurrected. And today we celebrate that as we partake of the, the matzah that represents our Savior, the Messiah. Men, will you serve us, please? And I'm going to ask that each of you take and hold these elements just for a moment. 
Use this time to confess any sins you may have. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to this table. You don't have to be a member of Voiceside, just a part of the family. And if you'd like to become a part of the family of God today, take those elements. Tell God you're receiving his great gift of new life.
Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, eat it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's not the sacrifices of the temple, the things that kept a temporary covering of sin but never paid the penalty. It is what I did for you. As I paid the penalty in full, as I gave my life, the one who knew no sin became our sin offering to free us from the penalty of death. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, drink it in remembrance of him. May you join me, please, as we close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your great gift of new life. We thank you, Father, for your great gift of redemption. For your people, the Jews, and for us, the Gentiles. All of us, Father, have rebelled against you. All of us have lost our way, and we owe a penalty, a penalty of sin called death. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came, that you gave your life on the cross, giving us the bridge to cover that chasm of sin. As you said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that today we can celebrate the gift of new life, the way home to heaven through you, Jesus, the one who provided the payment, the penalty in full. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you, Lord God, for giving your life on the cross. And we thank you, Lord God, that death and the grave could not hold you, but you rose victoriously, what we celebrate today. So, Lord God, may we go out and share the good news. May we tell those that we see today, he is not dead. He is risen, just as he said. May we share with others the good news of redemption. Thank you, God, for your gift. May we be those who freely share that gift. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.